A reading from Psalm 9, beginning at the ninth verse. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare God's deeds among the peoples, for God is mindful of them. God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See what I suffer. You are the one who lifts me up from the gates of death so that I may recount all your praises and in the gates of daughter Zion, rejoice in your deliverance. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. There are collections of rocks all over our house. There are rocks and the cup holder in the back seat of the minivan I drive. There are rocks in pockets. A new collection is curated every laundry day. Some of the rocks have a clear point of interest, a sparkle, a line, a fossil. Others have none that I can detect, just a plain rock, sometimes a chunk of concrete. I know that my children are not the only rock collectors. Is it that children are closer to the ground and so notice things that we humans have learned to ignore? Is it that they have yet to learn society's definitions around what is precious and of value and what is worthless? In her collection of essays entitled Teaching a Stone to Talk, Annie Dillard writes of her neighbor, a man named Larry, who lives alone except for the stone he's teaching to talk. Larry is serious about this. The stone in question is a beach cobble, oval-shaped, dark gray, with a white band encircling it, sized so that it can fit nicely into the palm of the hand. Apparently, the stone is typical of cobbles that can be found all over the beaches of Puget Sound, where they live. Larry keeps this rock under a swatch of leather. The leather functions like the cloth you put over a bird cage if you want your parakeet to go to sleep. Several times a day, Larry removes the leather and tries teaching his stone to express itself. No one knows what Larry is teaching it to say, what methods he's employing, or whether his, he's experiencing any success. They do know that he's made plans to initiate his son into the task to ensure that the work will go on after Larry is gone. The son doesn't live with Larry, so when he comes over, they practice teaching the stone to talk. Dillard is clear. It's not that Larry is possessed of madness. It's just that there is this obsession that he has that someday the beach cobble will speak. And so he waits and he listens 
and he patiently prepares for the day when the stone will make a sound. He waits, even though what he is waiting for is uncertain, unforeseeable. Our scripture reading this morning begins, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. In Deuteronomy 3, we read, God is the rock. And in 2 Samuel, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. In Genesis, Jacob refers to the Lord as the stone of Israel. And Isaiah says that the Lord is a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The second testament is full of references to Jesus as the rock, the cornerstone. But I keep thinking of that day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus atop a donkey colt with garments thrown all around and people shouting praise. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven. The religious leaders come to investigate the noise and disruption. Teacher, they say, all wrapped up in their liturgical vestments. Teacher, rebuke your disciples, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus, without a moment's hesitation, replies, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What would they say? The hot stones of the desert, the ones Jesus with hunger gnawing at him refused to turn to bread, the motionless stones he said God could raise up to children of Abraham, the stone jars that held the water turned wine of his first miracle. The stones he invited the ones without sin to hurl at the woman caught in adultery. The cobblestones of Jerusalem, which could not have been harder than the hearts of the leaders. What would they say? Were they speaking already and no one could hear them muffled as they were by the garments? the palms, the noise of the city. Maybe the world, the stones and the mountains and the seas and the stars cry out with a steady constancy that we've learned to ignore. Sometimes the noise of our lives is so deafening that we cannot hear the more subtle voices that are also there. Have we, like Annie Dillard's neighbor, spent any time listening? The stones may have been speaking all along. Have we been too preoccupied with our noise and our pain and our plans and our wars and our politicians to hear them? Listening can be the beginning of peace. The tablets of stone, the stones we stumble over, the stones that others may throw at us the stones rolled away from the tombs of our lives. All may speak to us of peace. They may teach us to listen. This morning, as we honor our saints and our souls who have died, we're surrounded by each other, by candlelight and by stones. The sculpture pictured on the cover of our bulletins this morning is of a human figure created from wire and the wire is full of stones. The sculpture is called the weight of grief. 
The stones have something to tell us, and certainly they are heavy, far too heavy to carry alone. We have this week crossed the threshold of 5 million dead from coronavirus. 5 million. Let that number sink in a little. That's more than the entire population of New Zealand. It's more than the population of Ireland. That's about the number of people who live in Liberia or Costa Rica. We've lost an entire country's worth of people to this disease. We need the stones to help us cry. It's too much to bear alone. It's too much to give voice all by ourselves. Others have died too from cancer and heart disease, from accidents and worn out bodies, from gun violence and suicide and war. Death surrounds us. And where there is death, there is grief. And we are grieving, my friends. Grief is not linear. There is no finish line. There's moment by moment and day by day. There's learning to live with the love that remains. Grief spirals and loops, piling emotion upon emotion, anguish and anger, denial and guilt, acceptance, sadness, disbelief, exhaustion. Grief is work. And our culture has very little patience with the work of grief. There's pressure to move on, to get over it. In my experience, grief doesn't work that way. It's not three days of bereavement leave and then you're done. It has been 34 years since my mother died. Her death is not something I will ever get over. I've learned to incorporate her life and her death into my living. I talk to her, talk about her with my children. I keep her memory and her love with me. I light a candle each year on her birthday and the day she died. I write her letters that require no stamp, letters of love and connection. Grief and pain must be experienced, lived, so let yourself, this day, let yourself feel how much you miss your loved ones and any other day that you need to. Incorporate rituals like lighting a candle, going to a place they loved, giving to a charity in their honor as a way to acknowledge your grief and to remember. Tell stories. And with your grief, Give your lament voice, cry, scream, write a letter, laugh, make a call, do something for justice. Poet Stanley Kuntz writes, on my way home from school, I scuffed in the drainage ditch among the sodden seep of leaves, hunting for perfect stones rolled out of glacial time into my pitcher's hand. Past the abandoned quarry where the pale sun bobbed in the stump of the granite, past Copperhead Ledge where the ferns gave foothold, 
I walked, deliberate, onto the clearing, the stones in my pocket changing to oracles as my coiled ear tuned to the slightest leaf stir. In a murderous time, the heart breaks and breaks and lives by breaking. It's necessary to go through dark and deeper dark and not to turn. I'm looking for the trail. Where's my testing tree? Give me my stones. We are not lacking in stones. There's no deficit of rock. What we lack is attention, is listening, is attunement. Some of the rocks that decorate our house placed there through the years have names. One of them, a brown stone that looks very much like a potato, is named Fredbert. Grayson named him when he found the stone at the park one day. He was digging and creating some imaginary realm in the dirt when suddenly he cried, Fredbert, at last! He wiped Fredbert clean from the dirt that clings to what has been recently unearthed, and then he gently placed Fredbert in his lap. Grayson continued his play, but now he was accompanied by a stone. I don't know what Fredbert said. I wish I could have heard him too. I have stones I might as well name. They're stones gathered at each loss, each transition, each rejection, each death. Stones that would fill me up like the sculpture if I would let them. There are stones I need to listen to, ones that need my full attention, need the time to remind me of love that never dies, love that exists through all the years, through sun and rain and snow and wind, permanent like a rock. There are other stones I need to put down, regrets and should-haves and guilt for what was not done. It's time to let those stones speak to someone else. They have done enough with me. When we share our stones, when we hold them together, listen together, put some of them down together. When we share our grief, we find the burdens easier, the pain accompanied by community. We find love. In just a moment, I will ask us to name our beloveds, the ones that we remember and honor this day, the ones who've died. You can name as many people as you need to name. We will all speak at once, and we will allow the names of our loved ones to wash over us in a cacophony of remembrance. When we have finished speaking names, we will hold silence together and see if we might hear anything from the stones that surround us. I will ring the bowl to begin our naming, and I will ring it again after a silence.
During the hymns that remain in the service and after the service, you're invited to take as many stones as you need. Take some stones, take some stones home and listen to them. They might have advice about some burdens you've been carrying that you need to put down. They might help you with your grief, giving you a constant reminder that like a rock, love lasts forever. They might help you to know that you are not alone. They might be the beginning of your own collection of stones, one built not only of grief and pain, but also one that contains hope and joy. Let the stones speak to you of peace. Amen. 